Hello, listeners. It's Alex Rorty. I just wanted to make a note at the top of the show that the sound quality of this week's episode is going to be a little different and a little worse. Uh, I appreciate everyone hanging in there during this time of social distancing and some of the technical challenges that ensue. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast. I hope everyone is feeling well and doing well and staying alone together. I'm Alex Rorty, a political correspondent from McClatchy. Once again, coming to you from my chateau in Washington, D.C., as we continue appropriate social distancing etiquette. Today, I am joined by David Cadiz, political correspondent from McClatchy. Dave, welcome. Good to be with you. And we are happy to have back on the show Adam Warner, who runs the political desk of McClatchy. Warner, welcome. Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, I realize that we have uh, Northwest DC pretty well covered between the three of us here. We've got we've got Shaw, we've got Adams Morgan, we've got Petworth, um, really really representing this this part of of the district well. Represent, as they yes. say. We are really representing this one part of the district. Yes, a very specific <laughs> part. <laughs> yes, very very well. Um, okay, so on this week's show, we are going to shift our focus to the future. Joe Biden's future, more specifically. The presumptive nominee of the Democratic Party, no matter what Bernie Sanders says at this point, has an unprecedented political challenge on his hands, trying to stay relevant amid a pandemic that is naturally drawing most of the attention to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And if that wasn't enough, speculation has already begun in earnest over which woman the former vice president will pick to be his own running mate. There's already concern in some corners of the Democratic Party over who Biden won't pick. Okay, so... Joe Biden, I think, is in what you can, can fairly be said, you can fairly say is a very difficult position uh, for, for him. He is trying to run, not just run a campaign, but really establish control, establish himself as the head of the Democratic Party. He's trying to pivot to the general election at a time when both not a whole lot of the public is focused on what Joe Biden is saying and doing right now, and maybe just as importantly, when he's confined to his own home in Delaware right now, trying to practice social distancing himself, even as he's trying to marshal what is always a very difficult process of transitioning to the general election and trying to scale up your campaign to take on an incumbent president. And, and Dave, that's, that's where we're going to start our discussion. And, and here's the first question to you. How concerned, when you talk to Democrats, how concerned are they that this discussion, that he has been too absent from the public eye in this discussion, and how much, how many suggestions or unsolicited advice are you picking up on what he can try to do better as he moves forward here? So I think Democrats think his response has been adequate, but that in the coming days, it's not going to be enough. And look, nobody wants to come out of the gate and bash Biden. He is, you know, they, everybody understands this is unprecedented. These are extreme circumstances. And look, they have improved. They've got the studio up and running in Wilmington. They're, they've done The View. They've done CNN. They're getting him on TV. It's not at the level, though, obviously, that, that, that where Trump is, where he's dominating the news of the day by a 5 p.m. daily briefing. So I think you're starting to hear uh, more of a critique about they're going to get need, They're going to need to be more creative in the days to come. And what I have heard just from other campaign operatives who were rivals of his during the primary, um, whether it be on Twitter or the conversations I've had recently as this morning, is that, you know, they've got to be doing more and um, 
they've got to be thinking outside the box, which means doing, you know, satellite interviews with local stations in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Florida, putting him on, you know, ESPN, which needs content to fill. People are saying to me that he should be talking to non-political audiences right now. Like people are at home, right? America is at home stuck, like on Netflix, on YouTube, like looking for content. Where can Biden place himself into that conversation? I had one operative tell me, look, he should be responding to Trump immediately every day, that he should wait for the 5 p.m. you know, Trump briefing, and then two minutes after Trump is done, be it live, you know, request on time on CNN or request time on MSNBC or request time on a podcast um, that's popular, whether it be like you know, obviously ours, but <laughs> other podcasts <laughs> that are out there. So I think, you know, adequate for now is what Democrats are saying, but you're starting to see the critique ramp up. And I don't I don't think it's going to be sustainable a week from now for Biden just to be doing a Zoom press conference and, you know, virtual town halls. He's he's going to have to think bigger and faster uh, to get in this news cycle. And, and we saw it. I mean, there has been a change this week because last week it felt like he almost completely disappeared from public view. And I think some of that was literally just the, the technical challenge of setting up a camera right. at his home in Wilmington. You know, they have tried, as you mentioned, they have a virtual town hall. They have done some live stream live addresses yep. um, that, 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 that they've sent out. You know, there was a little kind of laughing about the, the, the lectern that he was speaking behind on the Biden side with no one else in the room, just, you know, stacks of books at, at home. And he, as you, as you also said, he did a Zoom press conference um, with, with reporters yesterday. He did take questions from reporters, but it, obviously it was a little bit of an awkward situation. The thing that stuck out to me, of course, was maybe you have a couple hundred reporters watching this versus the president of the United States, who every cable network is cutting in to show, you know, his hour or two hour long press conference. Um, and just the, the, the comparative footprint of the two is a pretty dramatic difference. Adam, you know, part of the anxiety, such as it is from some Democrats, is in polls at least, you know, Donald Trump is both getting good marks for uh, for his handling of the crisis so far, and you've seen some uptick in his approval rate. Yeah, I think that reality has really started to set in for a lot of Democrats this week because I think, you know, up until the last few days, most Democrats were saying, wow, you know, you know, Trump is, you know, totally bungling the response to this. The White House is is way behind on this. Um, you know, he's, you know, especially in the past couple of days, you know, Trump hasn't really seemed to abide by a lot of the recommendations that, that some of his own health advisors and, you know, the CDC have been putting out. But and then you look at some of the polls that are coming out and his approval rating is steadily rising. And, you know, just the fact, you know, and it, it, it kind of like brings back a lot of memories of 2016, right, where it's like, you know, just the fact that Trump is on TV and is dominating the conversation, it doesn't even really matter what he, he says to a certain degree, right? It seems to, you know, help him marginally in the polls. So Biden needs to be out there, I think, you know, from a lot of Democrats' perspective, just to kind of provide that counterbalance. And and now that he has, you know, this TV studio set up, as, as we were mentioning, I mean, there really isn't a, a reason that he can't be on CNN or MSNBC every single day, you know, for a couple minutes at a time, pushing back against Trump, you know, providing viewers with an alternative of, oh, you know, in, you know, in an alternative universe, here's what, you know, a President Biden might be doing here. And is that, you know, something that that would be preferable to me? Um, I also think, you know, there is, you know, kind of a, a balancing act here that the Biden campaign will need to, to strike as well, because, 
you know, as you remember, you kind of in the heat of the primary, you know, Biden certainly was not kind of on the, the campaign trail as much as some of his rivals. And I think that was, you know, a, a purposeful effort from the campaign because they know Joe Biden has this tendency to sort of speak off the cuff and, you know, get into, you know, some hot water verbally, you know, with, with gaffes or what have you. So, and, and you've already seen Republicans try and try and jump on some misstatements that he's had in interviews this week. So I think, you know, they, they you know, it's going to take some time to sort of find that balance of, you know, how much Joe Biden is enough Joe Biden, how much exposure is enough for him just to sort of stay in the public's, you know, conscious of like, oh, yeah, he is out there. He's still running for president so that he doesn't totally fall by the wayside while, you know, there's no elections, you know, coming up. There's no debates. Um, you know, it's obviously up to him to sort of, you know, force himself into this conversation. Uh, but I certainly, you know, think we'll start to see more of that. But I think, you know, as Dave mentioned as well, they also have to think of some other creative ways beyond just TV interviews and Zoom you know, uh, you know, happy hours and press conferences that, you know, aren't necessarily getting a lot of eyeballs and think of other ways to, to reach out to people where they are. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was interesting. I was on the phone with a Democrat uh, with some presidential experience uh, before we, we started this podcast. And I asked him the question, OK, well, what do you think Biden should do? His answer was I, he actually didn't care about trying to respond to Trump. He said, yes, they have to do it. It's not going to be easy, but he's got to show a, a, a sort of calm sense about him and also that he's listening to the experts. He said the most important thing for him to be doing right now is raising money. Um, and I thought that was interesting just in the sense of both mm. that whenever you become the presumptive nominee, this is always a critical moment for fundraising. You're trying to build a big fundraising base and you're trying to you know, scale up for the general election. He also said fundraising is also just going to be incredibly difficult right now because of the, the financial uncertainty in the country. People who would normally be kicking in $2,000, maybe they're just kicking in a couple hundred dollars. And that's a problem not just for Joe Biden, but it's going to be a problem for everyone in, in the political universe. You know, I mean, so a whole set of challenges here. Um, you know, I, I mean, Dave, this would seem to be a big moment potentially for President Trump, too, to, to, to try to, in the way that we've seen some other governors like this, say, Larry Hogan or Andrew Cuomo, really come out in the forefront. I mean, th this seems like this is a, could be, you know, looking at it from the other side anyway, that this could be a big moment for, for his campaign movement. And his numbers have gone up, I mean, marginally, but margins are, are how we decide presidential elections in this, in this country. Especially, especially recently, yes. Yeah, two points matters. Two points in one state yep. matters a lot. And, you know, Trump was up in the Monmouth National Poll this week, up two points. Um, I think you're seeing the urgency from sort of the outside Democratic group saying, you know, priorities is on the air Unite the country, the Biden super PAC is on the air, hammering Trump, and they're basically playing what? Him downplaying the early uh, months of this, saying it was gonna you know, disappear, wash away, we've got it locked down, under control. I think they're, 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 just those ads to me tell me that they feel like there's a communication gap that needs to be filled on the Democratic side. Like, hey, we gotta remind people, we gotta remind people that that like, you know, Trump missed this in January when the government, this is why we have a federal government to protect us from threats that we may not have in our uh, focal point. Um, so to me, those ad campaigns really speak to a lot. And, you know, Biden's got to do a lot of things at once, right? Like he's got to scale up a general election staff, which is very hard when you can't even deploy people out to battleground states yet because everyone's working from home. Um, you've got to raise money, as you said, but I think the communication key is point. And I'll go back to a conversation I had with an operative who actually told me he thought Biden looked visibly uncomfortable 
at this podium, um, you know, speaking into whatever a YouTube laptop camera, whatever they have set up there, um, and that he should take a page from Trump and just call into shows. I mean, remember how Trump did it in 2015? Right. He would just call into Morning Joe and they'd put him on with a graphic, Donald J. Trump with a big phone, and he would speak naturally and it'd be a back and forth. And this operative said to me, Biden is more like Trump than we than many Democrats would care to admit and would be more comfortable and that sort of give and take on a phone. And it's like we don't need nobody needs to see Biden. He looks a little awkward, uncomfortable. Put him on the phone where he may be more comfortable and will then have a message that resonates more so than, you know, this weird live stream in a box. Um that he's trying to do. So I think Democrats are trying to think creatively and help the vice president. You know, whether he takes this, uh, you know, uh, advice is another question. We've also got a new campaign manager that I think we should factor in. You know, General Mally Dillon is new to the Biden operation. So she is, we're going to see her vision and a test for her very quickly because she's only been in, uh, in this position a couple weeks. So I'm sure she's trying to figure out these questions right now imagine walking you in a presidential campaign in the middle of a coronavirus where you can't deploy your candidate anywhere this is could be a tough challenge for her i mean so, so joe biden might be comfortable right might be more comfortable calling into these shows would joe biden's campaign be more comfortable <laughs> yeah I don't, right well, uh, right no i that's that's do you do you let biden be biden like trump was trump right i mean and you're, there is there is definitely more of a risk for that Bidenism, for the embellishment of a story, I think, if you let him off script. But I think, you know, if he's still doing Zooms and they look stilted <laughs> two weeks from now, there right. that may be the, the better path for, for Biden. Well, I, I think, and that's right. the point, Adam, I think that's really important here. It's, it's one thing that he's doing Zoom this week. But if we're into April and pushing potentially even beyond that, and he's right. still bunkered down in, in his Delaware home, at some point the public is going to want more. I would think the Democratic Party is going to demand more. Yeah, I, I think so. And you know, it makes sense that you know kind of, we're just moving you know day by day, hour hour by hour with a lot of this coronavirus stuff. But I think the other thing that. I think, you know, that we have to remember, too, is that taking a step back and like, you know, we're, we're not even through the end of March here yet. You know, the election is still months and months away. So how much, you know, Biden is actually out on TV and doing these sort of things in March and April and even May. How much does that actually matter down the road? You know, I, I don't know. Again, you know, it, it could all be at the margins. And uh, to Dave's point earlier, that's obviously where these elections are decided. But I actually think that you know, where they can make the impact is with some of these ads that you guys mentioned. I think that's, those are, you know, some of the, the, the strongest points and arguments we've seen from the pro-Biden camp this week, both the, the ads that the, um, the campaign is running, that the, the pro-Biden super PAC is running, and that priorities is running. You know, the Trump campaign even, um, you know, sent a cease and desist letter to Priorities USA for the ads that they're running. Um, and there was a, a good story from Alex Eisenstadt in Politico this morning that a lot of Trump allies are starting to see these ads that are hitting the airwaves. And they're saying, hey, where's where's Trump's out, outside support here? Where's his air cover during all of this? Um, and again, you know, and again, that's where, you know, the, the raising of the money comes in and all that. But I think that, you know, I, you know, it's maybe being a little undervalued that so many of these outside groups really consolidated around Joe Biden quickly and are moving to 
his defense and attacking Trump early, I think that may actually have a bigger long-term effect on the trajectory of this race. If they were able to really, you know, set the narrative that Trump was late to this, Trump is bungling the response to this, he's putting, you know, American lives at risk, and that's something they can run her through November, I think that could ultimately, you know, ha have a, a greater impact than whatever, you know, Biden happens to be saying on MSNBC on any given day. Let's get the discussion going on, on Joe Biden. Uh, Dave, you wrote uh, a piece this week uh, speculating about and, and quoting Democrats about who Biden should pick to be vice president. Of course, this is going to be a closely watched decision because it always is uh, for the nominee of a political party who they're going to pick as a running mate. But I think especially with Joe Biden, uh, because he's a little bit older, because he, he so strongly represents one wing of the party and not as much the other wing of the party, um, that that people are really going to be closely watching who he picks. And there's going to be a lot of speculation. Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, what your reporting found, and, and kind of your own 30,000-foot view over what is going to be, uh, I assume, kind of a, a month or two months-long process of him trying to figure out who to pick here. So I think it's fair to say that the process is underway and that Biden has a list in his head uh, about who he's going to consider. And, you know, at the top of the list, I mean, Biden did us a favor uh, by limiting this list very quickly when he said he was going to select a woman. I mean, he split it, you know, to a pretty concise list um, just to, to start with. Um, so and, and, and his campaign said, look, the formal apparatus of the vetting will start in the coming weeks, but that Biden has already, you know, thought, put a lot of time into this equation. And I think just given Biden's strength, given the coalition that basically saved Biden's candidacy in the primary, um, I am putting my money on a woman of color. Uh, it, to me, it would be, you know, the other two women that are prominent that are going to be talked about are Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, both females, both senators, both ran credible presidential campaigns. I think if they're still going to have a hard time because uh, the women I spoke to this week and the interest groups uh, pushing for a woman who um, sort of sort of that have been waving this flag for years now about about elevating female talent uh, are stressing that it, it would be a mistake to pick even a white woman. Uh, my story focused on the Latina question, uh, just given that we, we spend so much time speaking about the African-American vote, obviously African-American women are the most loyal Democratic constituency. They were even more important to Joe Biden, uh, given, given his coalition and his problem with younger voters and more liberal voters. Uh, so wh where do you start with African-Americans? Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams. I think, you know, Kamala Harris, I think is is, if she's not number one on the list, she's number two, at least. Uh, hard for me to see her lower than a top three. I think she's going to be in the mix no matter what. Um, but then, you know, just looking at the, the broader question, um, you know, Latinos are going to make up more of the electorate, or at least projected to, than even African-Americans this year. And they have always felt neglected, that they don't get courted as much, that they're sort of the last hires that campaigns make when they're doing outreach. It's, it's you know, we got to talk to white women in the suburbs. We've got to talk to African-American voters. And then it's Hispanic. So there was, you know, there was a little bit um, of frustration on that, but also that um, they want their names in the mix this time. And I think, obviously, at the top of that list is going to be Catherine uh, Masto Cortez, or Cortez Masto, um, 
from Nevada, the senator from Nevada, just given her own experience. Uh, she's a former attorney general. She's a chief of staff for governor. Um, she's the helm of the um, Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee this cycle. She, she, she's got some political experience and knows how to, how to raise a little money. I think she's going to be in that mix. I think she will be vetted. I think um, that's going to be a you know, uh, in the top five tier uh, for Biden. Uh, I do think that even, you know, in my reporting, sort of Latin leaders said that they probably think it, it you know, she's at a disadvantage to an African-American woman, just given that, given how Hillary lost last time and how there was decreased African-American turnout in Detroit, Milwaukee, you know, Philadelphia, other places, and that cost the, the the Democrats the election that Biden is not going to take that risk to say oh I've got you know they're they're with me you know I want them in a primary um, e- even you know these were Latina leaders saying like look I I think that you know the power of that constituency is important and we can't take it for granted so they were even telling me that look we want a Latin we want Latinas mentioned we want them in the mix but we're fine with a credible African American woman. Well, and, and I mean, I think if, if you were going to really focus on women of color as is his running mate, the truth is that I'm um, in prominent positions in the Democratic Party. And it's been a, a big, long standing for the problem. A lot of it is traced back to the way the Democratic bench was wiped out in 2010 and, and 2014 and kind of by and large in the Obama era. I mean, really, you're talking about um, Kamala Harris, uh, Stacey Abrams, and Val Dennis, right? And 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 Stacey Abrams for for a lot all the hype that she receives in Washington, some of it deserved. You know, she's never held uh, an executive position. She lost her race for, for governor in Georgia. Right. That's where usually the launching pad for someone being picked is. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. State state house minority leader is still you know the the highest she's ever climbed. You know, up, up the political ladder. Obviously, you know that she's now taken on kind of this national civil rights uh, perch as well. Um, but that gets to you know what Dave was writing about in his story this week with with um, Latina women is that they're just you know it's a pretty thin bench. You know, outside of you know Cortez Masto, you know who herself isn't even really all that well-known outside of, of DC and, you know, you know, and, and Nevada. So I think, you know, that will certainly help to narrow Biden's list if that's the way he goes. I think, you know, if he does decide to go with, with a white woman, I think that he would certainly get some pushback for that. Um, I, you know, actually, I think that the last quote in Dave's story kind of got to the point of, you know, if he picks someone like A.B. Klobuchar, I think, you know, people would, would be, you know, kind of upset with that decision, um, you know, having two, um, you know, white, fairly moderate, um, you know, Democrats on the ticket. Elizabeth Warren, I think, would be a, a different story just because I think that would be more painted as him trying to um, shore up his support on the left. But 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 I th- right. But, but I think, you know, the, the probably the safest and most sensible play for him is to put a woman of color on the ticket. And I think that the direction he goes will also, you know, tell us a little bit about where he sees the electoral map. You know, I think if he does go with a black woman, someone like Kamala Harris or Stacey Abrams, that means he's really centering in on, you know, those former blue wall Midwestern states, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, trying to drive up black turnout in Milwaukee, Detroit, Philadelphia, the areas that really cost Hillary Clinton in 2016. But if he does decide to go with someone like Cortez Masto, maybe that signals that he sees more of an opportunity in some of these rapidly expanding uh, states, you know, out west or in the south with heavily Latino populations, you know, whether that's Arizona, Texas, or even, you know, Florida, which is obviously also a, a swing state. So 
I think that'll that'll tell us a little bit about where the Biden campaign sees the map. Um, but overall, you know, I think you know the one thing that we do know about what Biden is is considering here with his VP pick is that he wants somebody who who is ready to be president because he knows that you know he's seventy seven, um, you know. He, and, and that, you know, obviously, you know, they want to be prepared for the worst and, alle- you know, alleviate some of those concerns that people might have about voting for an older uh, candidate for president. So, um, you know, I, I think, it, you know, it, it's interesting that we already seem to have such a clear idea of where he might go, even though he hasn't necessarily said a lot of names himself out loud. But, um, you know, I, I would be really shocked if he ends up going with somebody who's who's not a, a woman of color. Dave, yeah, I, I was struck at the end of your story, as you mentioned, uh, I mean, how stark the warning was and what the, the, the backlash would be if he didn't pick a woman of color to be his, his running mate. I know that's something that they're really going to factor in. Any, anything else that really stuck out to you, you know, amidst your initial foray and what is going to be, I'm sure, a series of stories that we will all write about his potential running mates. Yeah, I just think it shows why it's so important to run and get on the national scene. Imagine if Kamala Harris didn't run for president she would be at the same disadvantage that a lot of Latinas are right now. She wouldn't have a national profile. This is what, you know, I remember writing a story way back about, you know, there are many reasons to run for president. Most of them don't have to do with actually occupying the office. And uh, imagine if, you know, if Cortez Masto had run this year, she might be in a totally, you know, maybe she never had won a state or any delegates, but she might have had a national profile and and, and in that position. That's why I think... Uh, Kamala is in that position, uh, sort of that that n- number one or number two slot. Um, I would say, though, that one sort of Biden person just sort of warned me that, you know, there will be other names that are sort of outside the boundaries of politics. There, this always happens. Maybe they're in business, maybe a business leader, someone in, in you know, who's who's worked, you know, in, in the university system that, that we don't sort of deal with in our stories day in and day out. But like through this process, there are so many voices that come into it. Biden's had a long career in politics. He's going to get a lot of suggestions. And they just sort of warned me, like, look, you're going to see names floated in the coming weeks and coming months that may get a look, but, um, you know, probably won't end up in the top tier, but may sort of have a flurry of attention. Um, Who those are, those weren't rolled out to me. But remember, there's always, just given the current situation is there's always that X factor of surprise that campaigns want. The one thing Kamala Harris wouldn't do is surprise a lot of us in the media. We would sort of say, well, we would look at each other and go, okay, this makes sense. Um, so they just sort of stressed to me that like that X factor of, and he's, you know, given the cycle he's in where he can't make news, he may want to, to, to sort of eye op- keep, you know, p- keep people on their heels and have an eye opening pick just, you know, probably a lower percentage chance, but something yeah. we should, we should keep in mind. Let's let the Oprah speculation begin. Yeah. <laughs> let's just get off. You know. I like it. Okay, let us uh, move on to what is my favorite segment every week. Tell me something you don't know. Dave and Adam will tell you, the listeners, something fresh out of their reporting notebook that you haven't heard elsewhere. Dave, you're up first. So I will stay in my lane of uh, VP selections this week. Uh, this was sort of a nugget um, passed along to me um, that Val Demings should be a dark horse candidate because she checks a lot of the boxes uh, that Biden needs. Um, she's a congresswoman. She got rave reviews uh, for uh, doing the impeachment trial uh, in the Senate. Um, she's media friendly. 
She's from Central Florida, Orlando, which is a swing area in a, a very important battleground state that Democrats have not been able to win um, or that Hillary Clinton was not able to win, I should say more precisely. Uh, and she's a former police chief. So she's got that law enforcement credential that Kamala Harris has. Now, she's not a statewide elected official. She's less known, uh, you know, I was told. But if something comes up in the vetting process of Kamala Harris or if, if there's a red flag, uh, you know, they, they do very deep vets on these candidates and sometimes reveal things that weren't even vetted in the campaign. I was just told to, like, keep an eye on Vel Demings as a potential dark horse. She's not a front runner right now, but if Kamala doesn't meet the test or something happens, Val Demings' stock will rise. I do think Kamala enters this as a heavy favorite to be the running mate, but your point is absolutely uh, a good one and, and definitely a name uh, for you, the listener, to keep out Val Demings. Certainly, I think it's going to be floated on that short list. Um, it, it sounds like uh, that should be circulating soon or, or really already is. All right, Adam, what do you got? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a tough time for the uh, election junkies among us, right? You know, everybody keeps pushing back their primaries. We're not going to have, you know, any meaningful results to, to dig through for a while. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that light is June 2nd, which is shaping up to be um, the, the second biggest delegate hall of the primary other than the original Super Tuesday uh, on March 3rd. So we can, you know, I know, I think, you know, CNN was calling some of the other, um, you know, Tuesdays uh, in March, you know, Super Tuesday 2 or Super Tuesday 3, but, but this will be a true sequel to Super Tuesday as all of these uh, April states are pushing back their primaries. It's looking like we could have upwards of 11 states plus the District of Columbia voting on that first Tuesday in June, which would mean that over 800 pledged delegates are up for grabs. Um, and what that sort of means, you know, kind of what the upshot of that is for, for this primary is that, you know, Joe Biden's not going to be the presumptive nominee probably until, you know, June at the earliest at this point because everyone keeps pushing their, their primaries back. And that's kind of allowing an opening for Bernie Sanders to stay in this race. You know, he says that he wants to, um, you know, debate in April if they decide to have a debate. He's already talking about how he's staffing up and organizing in New York and Pennsylvania. So even though this, you know, you know, for all intents and purposes, this primary is over, it, you know, it may not be officially decided until we get to June. And at that point, we're only a month out from the Democratic convention, assuming that still um, occurs as planned. Will Bernie still be in the race at, in June is my question. Sure sounds like he wants to be in the race until until June. Two uh, Tuesday, too furious was my personal. Ooh, yeah, all right, I, yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Branding. Uh, mine, mine will be quick. Uh, just noting, you know, we talked about how Donald Trump's approval ratings have ticked up uh, in recent weeks as he deals with the pandemic. In uh, the real clear politics average, uh, in fact, Donald Trump is at an all-time high for his approval, forty-seven percent. That's actually higher than we saw in the immediate aftermath of his inauguration, which is pretty wild uh, to, to consider. Um, you know, so the, the president, at least for now, and there are some Democrats I talked to who think that his numbers are already coming down a little bit. Uh, for now, anyway, the president is, is riding relatively high um, and obviously going to be an important figure as we head until November. Okay, uh, Dave and Adam, thank you so much uh, both for, for coming on and for doing so from your respective uh, homes in, in Washington, D.C. We'll have to do this again soon. Of course, no problem. It's been an honor. And thank you to our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and to our executive producer, Gavin Coburn. And thank you, our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. Talk to you next week. <laughs>